Well, good morning, faith family. I want to say hello to those that are gathered in Lakeville and encourage all of you, if you would, you got a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20. This summer, uh, we're starting a new series. Uh, we're going to be looking at the Ten Commandments, uh, a very, very well-known, maybe the most well-known uh, passage in the Bible. And yet, you would be surprised how many Christians I talk to, and yet they have no idea what to do with the Ten Commandments. Uh, do we put them on the wall? Do we try to keep them? Uh, do we see them as something that's just outdated because that's Old Testament? Are we kind of like the rich young ruler where we, we kind of use them as a moral checklist? Well, I've done four of them. Uh, I've broken these, and so I'm, I'm not as bad as others. What do we do as Christians with the Ten Commandments? Well, that's what we're going to think about. Uh, this summer, and I promise you this, okay? Um, if you rightly understand the Ten Commandments, your gratitude for Jesus and the gospel will increase. In fact, if you asked me uh, my approach to the Ten Commandments, I would put it this way, uh, that the Ten Commandments are ten reasons you should be really thankful for Jesus Christ, amen? Amen. You should be really thankful for the gospel. And so I want us to really think about how are we to understand the Ten Commandments in light of the good news of Jesus Christ. That is what we're all about here at Berean. Amen? So let's start this morning with the first commandment. We'll look at uh, one each week uh, over the next several weeks. And so Exodus chapter 20, beginning here at verse 1, and I will invite you uh, to please stand if you're able as we honor the reading of God's Word. Exodus 20, in verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This is God's Word. Would you pray for me and with me? as we ask God to come teach us now. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege and a gift of grace it is to gather together and worship you. We need this. Our souls need this. To take time to be with your people, to worship you, to sing about how faithful you are, how all glory belongs to you. To now, Lord, be under your word and think about how supreme you really are. Just come and meet us here. Come and talk to us through your word and glorify Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. What do you do when everything you own, when everything that you've worked for your entire life, Everything you've dreamed about and everything you've hoped for is gone in a moment. What do you do? How do you respond to that? That's exactly what happened to Tanner Broadwell and Nikki Walsh. Uh, Tanner and Nikki were, they were a couple living in Colorado and they had this dream. It was something they had dreamed about for a long time. They wanted to sell everything they had and they wanted to sail away to the Caribbean. You ever had that dream? In a Minnesota winter, if I could just sail away to the Caribbean. Well, that's what they always wanted to do. And finally, one day they made that dream a reality. They sold everything they had, belongings, clothes, anything of value, and they bought a boat. 
And they spent the next year working. They saved up another $5,000 and they got everything ready. And one day they finally set sail. They were so happy. This is what they always wanted. It's what they dreamed about. Sadly, it only took two days into their lifelong dream for it to become their life's biggest nightmare. On their way to Key West, as they were sailing around the coast of Florida, their 28-foot sailboat struck something and water began to, to pour into the cabin. They grabbed the $90 that was left to their name, uh, their, their IDs, the Social Security cards, and, and their little dog, and they jumped into the water. An hour later... A rescue boat arrived, and Tanner and Nikki and their dog survived. Their boat, however, did not. And when the Tampa Bay Times heard about their situation, they interviewed Tanner and Nikki, and Tanner said this, and it really struck me. He said, quote, Everything I'd worked for in my life, everything I'd owned since I was a child was in that boat, and I watched it all sink. And there was nothing I could do. And I thought about that story, and I thought about how, you know what, the reality is every single one of us in some way have experienced that kind of thing before. Here's what I mean. Every one of us in some way knows this truth. Temporary things eventually sink. At some point, they, they can vanish away. When we put all our hopes and dreams into temporary things and then watch them disappear. Now, it may not have been a boat for you. For some of you, you put all your hopes and dreams into a relationship and it ended. For some of you, you put all your hopes and dreams into financial security and you lost it. You put all your hopes and dreams into a career and it was taken away from you. You put all your hopes and dreams into fame and being known, and you watched it all vanish. Listen, if there's one thing you're going to learn in life, and if you haven't learned it yet, cheer up, you will, right? It's going to happen. You're going to learn that temporary things sink. Now listen to me this morning. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. That doesn't mean they're bad things. It does mean they're bad gods. It doesn't mean they're bad things. It does mean they're bad gods. And that is exactly, faith family, why God gives us the first commandment. Look at it again. Here in Exodus 20, verse 1, God spoke these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And here it is. You shall have no other gods before me. The first thing to jot down if you're taking notes here is that it's clear that this first command is an exclusive command. Um, in order to understand why God is commanding this exclusivity, we need to understand the context. And many of you probably know this, even if you're not that familiar with church or the Bible, you've likely heard the story. Um, the Ten Commandments 
are coming right off the heels of the Exodus event. Uh, God has rescued uh, Israel from Egypt, and, and they've been slaves there in Egypt for hundreds of years. And one of the things that we know about Egypt, it was a, a polytheistic nation. That is, they worshipped many gods. They had a god for everything, for the river, for their crops, for the sun. And, and, and so, uh, in fact, did you know, a little trivia here, did you know that the plagues in Egypt were actually judgments upon uh, ten specific gods in Egypt. Did you know this? Listen to Exodus chapter 12 and verse 12. God says, I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the, talk to me, all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord, let me give you just a few. We don't have time to, to give you all of them. For instance, uh, the Egyptians had the, the god of the Nile, and one of the plagues was the river turning to blood. They had a goddess of medicine, and you had the plague of the boils and sores. They had a goddess of the sky, and you had fire that came down from the sky. They had the sun god, and yet darkness goes over the face of the land. They even believed that Pharaoh was divine, and you have the final plague of the death of the firstborn. In other words, here's why I'm bringing all this out. I need everybody to listen. The plagues actually demonstrated what God is now demanding, namely there will be no gods before me. God is displaying his supremacy over the Egyptians and he is demanding his supremacy among his people. You see, Israel, when they were in captivity in Egypt, they, they started worshiping these Egyptian gods. They started taking them in. And this wasn't new. This is something they, they had already done uh, in their past. For instance, Genesis 35, verse 2. Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away, talk to me, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves. Israel, goodness, had this pattern repeatedly, did they not? Of, of blending into their surroundings. They were a spiritual chameleon. They looked like this. They were called to stand out, called to stick out, called to reflect God, but they always tended to blend in to whatever surroundings they were in. And, and they did this by taking on the worship of all these other gods. But God gives grace and God calls them and redeems them out of Egypt and he calls them here to Sinai and they're going to enter into a relationship. They're going to enter into a covenant. In fact, and I don't have time to unpack this, it really is laid out like an ancient Near Eastern treaty that, that Israel and God are going to enter into this relationship and God is giving the terms and the first term of the agreement is this. If you want to be in a relationship with me, you cannot be in a relationship with any other gods. I command exclusivity. And many commentators will debate as to what this phrase means. Uh, some said it means that there could be no gods next to him. Others would say it means there's no gods except him. Others say there's no gods over him. 
Others said there's no gods in front of him. One even said there's no gods to be brought before his face. And so you read all these different commentaries and they give you all these different uh, meanings for what this phrase could mean. And you say, Pastor, which one do you think it means? And my answer is yes. It's all the above. God doesn't want any gods next to him, except him, over him, in front of him, or brought before his face. Faith family, he demands exclusivity. He wants, he wants the singular passion of your life to be for him and him alone. And he will have no rivals. I'm bringing you up, verse 2, out of the land of Egypt where you have worshipped other gods. But understand this, Israel, if you're going to be in a relationship with me, here's the first term. I'm it in your life. And there are people that absolutely hate the first commandment because of this. I mean they loathe it. I'll give you an example. In an interview with Parade Magazine, actor Brad Pitt, who people get me mixed up with all the time. If I tell you, if I get called Brad one more time, I'm going to scream. And the fact that you're laughing really hurts my feelings. I think it's because Brad grew up in a Southern Baptist family like I did. Trust me, that's the only thing we have in common, all right? Um, and, and he was interviewed in this magazine, and they asked him, uh, because he grew up in a conservative Christian family, why he uh, rejected the God of the Bible. And what he said was so fascinating. Here's, here's what he said, quote, I didn't understand this idea of a God who says, you have to acknowledge me. You have to say that I'm the best, and then I'll give you eternal happiness. If you don't, then you don't get it. It seemed to me about ego, and I can't see God operating from ego, so it made no sense to me. Or what about Eric Reese? He teaches journalism at the University of Kentucky, which, jot this down in your notes, it's where Jesus will return. Uh, I don't know about your end time timeline, but in my Bible, that's what it says, so just telling you. And he wrote a book called An American Gospel. In, in, in light of that book, yeah, he did an interview on NPR. And he, was a, he grew up in a conservative Christian family, much like uh, uh, Mr. Brad. And uh, they asked, why did you come to reject it? And he said something similar. He said it was because of passages like Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus says things like this. Whoever loves father and mother, son and daughter, more than me, is not worthy of me. And in response to that, Reese says, quote, Who is this egomaniac? This historical stranger speaking 2,000 years ago, saying that you should love him more than my father or son, love me more than anyone in the world, or you're not worthy of me? That's not God. That's an egomaniac. And before you're quick to pounce on individuals like this, keep in mind that it was our own C.S. Lewis 
who had the same problem with God. In his reflections on the Psalms, he talks about that one of the greatest obstacles of him coming to faith was that as he read the Psalms, it seems like God always wanted his own praise. He was always commanding, praise me, praise me, praise me. It's like, it's like an old woman wanting compliments. See, the truth is, come on, be honest, be honest. If you take the first commandment on the surface, it makes God look like this. I mean, imagine that you've got a friend that looks at you and says, you're not allowed to have any other friends in your life but me. Imagine that I were to say to you, uh, you're not allowed to ever visit another church except this one. You start making claims like that, and it almost repels you. It's why so many respond, like, like Brad Pitt and others, to this first commandment. But I want to give you three reasons why God has to command exclusivity. There, there's no other thing that which He can command for three reasons. And, and I want to illustrate it with this. Now, I know this is a simple illustration, and I know the illustration breaks down, so save your emails, okay? Uh, but I just want to give a simple, I saved you some time this week, all right? Here's a simple illustration to understand why Brad and others, uh, God has to command this. So you have here some things that people tend to try to eat, okay? I don't know what you're thinking. Really? Yeah, did any of you like eat glue growing up? Anybody sniff glue growing up? Okay, that's what I thought. Or, uh, you know, you've got Play-Doh. You see little kids that like gnaw on little plastic things. Or I was shocked to learn this week that there was actually, a, some of you actually know what I'm talking about. There was a fad going on where people were eating Tide Pods. They were eating Tide detergent. Like, my hope in humanity is going way, way, way down, all right? And then you have actual food, like this is actual fruit, real food. And so I want you to just kind of think about this and use this very, very, very simple illustration to show you three reasons why God has to command the first commandment. Are you ready? You ready? Number one, here's the first reason, is God commands exclusivity for a God reason, he commands exclusivity for a God reason. Here's what I mean by this, and I'm glad you're sitting down. God commands no other gods. You ready? Because there aren't any other gods. Amen? I mean, what's he going to say? The other gods aren't real gods. No, listen, we, 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 we worship things like they're gods. We, we shape in our life things that function like gods but they're not real. The Egyptian gods weren't really gods. Why? Because there is only one true and living God. In the same way, like if you came up here and I said, you are only allowed to eat that which is food. You wouldn't say that's arrogant. You'd say that's obvious. There's only one thing that's food. Everything else is artificial. Everything else uh, isn't real food. And so it makes sense if there's only one true and living God, and there is, that that one true and living God would say, worship only me. Amen? Number two, 
God commands exclusivity also because of a good reason. That is, the reason he does this is for good. Uh, I'll try to trace this out over the next few weeks, but um, uh, you need to understand or, or jot this down that all the other nine commandments flow out of the first one. Or to say it a different way, if you get the first one wrong, the other ones uh, are off as well because they're impacted by the first one. Let me give you just a few quick examples here. If, um, if your functional God, like that thing that your heart really wants the most, it's what you desire more than anything, uh, if that functional God is, say, possessions, things, it's going to be very, very, very easy for you to be tempted to steal or covet. Whether you do it or not, it'll be in your heart. You'll crave that because your functional God isn't the true God. It's a false God. Or, or for instance, um, take success. Uh, like if what you really want more than anything is just to be a successful person in life and you want to be like you want to have the best business possible and you're driven by that. Not that that's a bad thing. It's just not a good God. And that's what drives you most in your life. You will be tempted. Listen, family, Lakeville, right here. Uh, you'll be tempted to have no Sabbath rest in your life. And you might need to turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking to you, all right? Or maybe it's you I'm talking to. You have no real rest in your life. Why? Because your God isn't the one true and living God. Your functional God is you have to be successful. Or to give you one more, if your God is self-exaltation and you want to be number one and, and you want the glory and, and all of that, you'll be very, it'll be very difficult for you to honor the God-given authorities in your life, like honor your father and mother. Do you see how the first one impacts the rest of them? And what that ends up doing is it means your life, listen, becomes disordered. Your life becomes out of alignment because the first commandment's not happening. And so your patterns of rest and your relationships and your desire for things become out of whack because you have functional gods. Or, or, or note it this way, when God is not your true north, not your singular passion, life goes in the wrong direction. It's why if you were here with me and I said, only eat that which is food, that commandment would be for your good. Don't eat glue. For heaven's sake, don't eat Tide. You might write that down, all right? Don't eat these things. Why? Because it's not good for you. It will harm you. It will mess up your life. Do you see? God has to command this. There's nothing of which he could command otherwise. For a God reason and for a good reason. Here's the third reason why God commands exclusivity, why he has to give us the first commandment, and that is a grace reason. A grace reason. I love this. This, this I hope, begins to change the way we think about the Ten Commandments. Listen, if God commanded anything but the first commandment, are you listening? He would hate you. If God commanded anything but the first commandment, He would hate you. So what do you mean? I mean this. 
God loves you so much that He commands you not chase after those things that will be a detriment to your soul, but that you chase after the only one that can delight your soul. He wants your joy. And the only one of which you were created to find that joy in is God. And therefore, He commands God. It is so gracious that God would say, Only eat of me. I love you so much. I don't want your soul to be destroyed on the artificial. Amen? And this is the paradigm shift that starts to begin to happen with the Ten Commandments. Notice this. The first commandment then is not meant to limit you, but reveal how much God loves you. It's not meant to limit you. It's meant to really show you how much God loves you. Well, that's the first commandment. It's exclusive there are to be no other gods but God. Um, how do you think Israel did with that? <laughs> the first question on the test. Do you think they got it right? Not even close. Look just a few chapters later in Exodus chapter 32 and verse 1. Watch what happens. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us what? gods. Who shall go before us? I mean, as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. And Aaron said to them, we'll take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He received the gold from their hand, fashioned it into a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, this is crazy. These are, talk to me, your gods. O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. It makes you just want to shake your head and go, what a bunch of spiritual num-nums. <laughs> I mean, you're just like, what? Like, how can this be? Were you not there? Did you not see? Do you have a clue? You've just made this golden cow and you're saying, yeah, that's the God that brought us out of Egypt. Point, they can't even go but a few days without breaking the first commandment. They can't even get to first base without falling on their face. The very first one, the very first term of the agreement, they've already broken. And by the way, and I don't have tons of time to, to go there, but, but, but Paul will say in the New Testament that this is actually the entire reason that God gave the Ten Commandments, that God gave the law. Not to deal with sin, but expose it. To reveal to them and to us how sinful we are. You see, here's the thing. Commandments written on stone can't change hearts of stone. When you're dead to God, you won't worship God. You'll make gods. Therefore... Commanding, oh, hang with me, commanding exclusivity reveals our inability. 
we are at the first problem on the test and we've already failed. You're like, I don't think I'm going to like this series. (laughs) What am I going to do for the next nine weeks? Come back is what you're going to do, all right? Um, Come on, we're num-nums too. Just look at your neighbor right now and say, you are such a num-num. Some of you have been wanting to do that for a long, long time. Go ahead, get it out. Feels good for the soul. Just say it. You are a num-num. And you are. And if you're a guest, you're thinking, does he do this every week, right? Uh, because we've, we're just like Israel. In fact, Paul says so in Romans 1 that we have worshipped created things rather than the Creator. We have broken repeatedly the first commandment. And, and, and I was trying to think, why? why? Why do we do this? Okay, Just think with me for a minute. Don't let your mind wander. Just be in this moment. Why do we do this? Why are we just like Israel? And here's why. Here's why. You and I make idols. We, we worship functional gods because we're all wanting rescue from some kind of slavery. Can I just talk to your heart for just a minute? Would you, would you let me in to speak to your heart? You are in slave, slavery to something. Something. And, and, and you're looking to something in life or someone in life to try to get you out of that slavery. And it happens in all kinds of practical ways. For instance, you could be having a really bad day, worst day you've had in a long time. It's terrible. And, and what your heart really wants in that moment, I mean, what you really desire uh, is not God. He's the last thing on your mind. What you want more than anything in that moment is a beer with your buddies and to watch the game. Because, man, if you could just have that two hours together, if you could just have that three hours, then you could get out of Egypt. Or maybe you feel caught in an economic situation and it feels like there's no way out and you feel the pressure of that. And in that situation, your heart craves most. I mean, the, the thing you dream about the most is if I could just get paid. Money would get me out of my Egypt. Or you feel in some kind of difficult relational situation, or maybe you're single and and you so desperately want to be married. You so desperately want someone. That's what your heart craves. And you think, if only I were more attractive, I'd get out of my Egypt. Your heart's enslaved to something. And there's an idol or God or idols or gods you're looking to praying, just get me out of this. Deliver me from the land of my Egypt. That's why we do this. That's why we break repeatedly the first commandment. So let me ask you this this morning. I'm talking to your heart. What Egypt, what Egypt are you trying to get out of? Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's regret. Maybe it's unfair expectations. Maybe it's grief. Maybe it's poverty. Maybe it's mediocrity. Maybe it's an abusive past. Maybe it's a dead-end job. Maybe it's hopelessness. Maybe it's uh, some type of human authority. What is your Egypt? 
And secondly, what God or gods, granted they're false, are you trusting in to get you out? You know what? My spouse will get me out. Or if I can just find a spouse. Or my kids will get me out. Or if I could just have kids. Or money. Oh, if I had more of that, I'd get out of my Egypt. And boy, if I had a better education or I was more attractive or I had friends or, or if I could just go listen to music or, or I know, I know, if I just had a boat, I could sail off and leave all my Egypt behind until it sinks. God commands exclusivity and that command proves our inability what do we do how do we obey the first commandment how do we as christians approach the first commandment if god is demanding and rightly so exclusivity and i can't do that my resume proves that, then how do I get out? What do I do? Everybody right here, faith family, you and I need another exodus. We need another exodus to happen. Now, hang with me for just a moment. I want to I show you here in exodus that this is actually pointing us to something, and then I'm going to give you some really, really good news. Anybody for good news? Lakeville, you want some good news, right? Here's, here's some good news, but, but, but hang with me as we get there. If you go to Exodus chapter 3, where God initially tells Moses about the coming Exodus, I want, you to know what kind, I want you to see what kind of language he uses. Exodus 3 and verse 7 says this. Hang with me. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. I've seen it. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, and by the way, this is where God reveals himself as the I am, the eternal God. He says, I, the I am, the eternal God, have seen my people in their suffering. I've seen them in their captivity. And I'm going to act because they can't do anything. They can't work their way out of their captivity. So I'm going to do something. I'm going to act graciously. I'm going to send a deliverer. And his name is Moses, right? We're not there yet, all right? It's Moses. In Exodus 3, God's saying, Moses, I'm sending you. And Moses is like, no, I can't even talk without stuttering. Doesn't matter. I am is sending you to deliver my people. The problem is, as they are delivered, they're given the law. Uh, Exodus 20 comes right on the heels of the Exodus event which doesn't deal with sin, it exposes it. It shows Israel and all of us uh, uh, how sinful we really are, how impossible it really is, how unable we are to do anything about it, which means we need something else. It's not sufficient. It's not enough. And I know what some of you are thinking, you like big Old Testament people, and I'm one of those. You're saying, how dare you say that about the Ten Commandments? How dare you say something about what's hanging on the wall of my living room? I mean, this is, this is precious truth. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just telling you what the New Testament tells us, namely, it's not enough. 
In fact, the writer of Hebrews will say, for if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second. Don't you see this exodus is pointing to a greater exodus? So then watch. I'm going to come off this new stage. Watch the language that John uses in John chapter 1. You ready for some good news? Here it is. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. That is the eternal God. Verse 14, becomes flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father. Right here, God, the I Am, the eternal God, sees His people in their captivity, sees His people in their sin, and He's going to act because they can't do anything to get themselves out of that. And He sends a deliverer, the Word made flesh, and His name is Jesus. Now, what does he bring that Moses didn't? Verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. The difference In the Exodus, the difference in the covenants, the difference between Jesus and Moses is this. Jesus didn't bring law to expose sin. Jesus brought grace to forgive sin. A greater Exodus is here. A greater covenant is here. A greater reality is here. You see, Moses brought law on a tablet of stone But Jesus brought salvation by rolling away a stone. Jesus, the ultimate deliverer, brings the ultimate exodus that can free you from your Egypt. And what that means, what that means, and we're going to see this each and every week, okay? Uh, What that means is that the first commandment is not meant to destroy you with guilt, but to drive you to grace. So let me ask this question, and we'll close. You ready? Here's the question. How do we then obey the first commandment? How do we do it? How do we do what the first commandment tells us to do? Are you ready for the answer? Are you ready to see how Jesus transforms the first commandment? Man, I'm so excited. Here it is. Here's the answer. How do I obey the first commandment? Answer, come to God exclusively through Jesus Christ. That is the only way you will ever fulfill the first commandment. In other words, the exclusivity of the first commandment requires the exclusivity of the gospel. 
that there is no other name by which you can be saved. There is no other way to God but through Christ. There is, hear me, faith family, no other mediator between God and man but the man Christ Jesus. And you will have no other ways of salvation but through him. That's how you and I obey the first commandment. We fall on our knees by faith in Jesus Christ. We have no other way of salvation but by Him. Amen? Isn't that good news? Aren't you thankful that our response to the first commandment is not just, well, I hope you can do it. Aren't you glad that the good news of the gospel is Jesus did it for us? And if we will surrender our lives by faith to Him, it will be fulfilled in us because of Christ. I ask you today, what Egypt are you trying to get out of? Come on, be honest. And what God or gods are you trusting in to try to get you out? And have you, I'm talking to you, Lakeville, talking to you, have you exclusively looked to Jesus Christ alone to be in relationship with God? Because if the Ten Commandments is going to prove anything, if if this is the basis for relationship with God, we'll never have one. But if we will look to Christ alone, we can be in covenant, in relationship with God. Are you? Are you? I'm talking to you. Are you in Christ? If not, today, would you turn from your sin that the first commandment reveals and put your faith in Christ alone? You know, as I thought about um, Tanner and Nikki's story this week, I couldn't help but think about um, the famous words that Jesus says in Matthew 13. Do you remember the little parable that he told? It goes like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a man that finds a treasure hidden in the field. And for joy, listen, sells everything he has to get it. And I thought, you know what? Tanner and Nikki's problem, like mine and like yours, it's not that they sold everything and went all in on something. It's that they sold everything and went all in on something that sinks. So may today our lives be built on the solid rock of Christ Jesus alone. Because as the old hymn says, all other ground is sinking sand. And God's people said? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us. The first commandment is why we are so thankful for Jesus. Because we are just like Israel. We have broken it time and time again. We are in all types of Egypts in our life, looking to all types of idols to get us out. We're just craving to be out of Egypt. 
And the problem is we're, we're, our hearts aren't turning to the one true and living God. But thank you that by your grace you saw us in that condition and you sent a deliverer. You sent Christ and in him is grace and truth. So I pray if there's somebody here today that does not know Christ, they don't have a relationship with Jesus, I pray that today they would turn and believe and cling to him alone. Others in this place, they just hearing your word today has exposed the things in their life that they hope and dream about more than you. Lord, I pray that we too would experience the grace of Christ as we turn from those idols and worship you today. God, speak to us. Work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.